Well, welcome from me, everybody. Uh, so good to be here, isn't it? Something special going on. Welcome especially to newcomers, visitors. We just love it that you'll be here. Thanks for, for joining us. And you might go home and say, so somebody asks you, so what, what, what did you learn today, Easter Sunday? What happened at church? I think we discovered two things so far. Um, that uh, Simon Peter is Welsh and that, G and that Jesus has gone missing. So that, that seems to be the takeaway so far from today, from uh, Rich's kids slot this morning. But it's so good to be here. Um, in a, a little break with tradition, let me start with a line from the Gospel according to Take That. Um, I know that we're all fans here. Not allowed in the building unless you're a fan of Take That. I heard this little line, I think it was coming out of Gareth's office earlier in the week. <laughs> You'll know it. Today this could be the greatest day of our lives. Today this could be the greatest day. I'll spare you the sung version. Gareth, Gareth probably won't later. Greatest day. I, I find it's often a little bit of a struggle. It's an enormous privilege. You can't imagine what an honour it is to speak uh, at any moment, let alone on Easter Sunday morning. But it's a bit of a struggle, isn't it, for all of us to find language and words that are big enough for everything that today represents. Let's be honest. We can struggle a bit with that. Greatest day barely captures it, but the greatest day, today this could be the greatest day of our lives. And I'm not sure what's behind that particular lyric that take that sang, but there are literally billions of people around the world today with whom we join singing and saying words to that effect, that Easter day, that first Easter day, not just could be, but in reality is the greatest day of our lives, the greatest day of our lives and potentially the greatest day of the life of every human being who has ever lived and who will ever live on earth. No other day comes close, does it, really, if you think about it? No other, no other day comes anywhere near Easter Day in terms of influence and significance, globally and universally and personally and historically and eternally. Think of some great days, the invention of the wheel, invention of the computer, the start of the um, internet, the release of Mandela from prison, the assassination of Martin Luther King. Where do you go in your mind for the greatest day? The day you got married, 2002, the day that Arsenal won the double. There was a... <laughs> it's receding in the memory, but it's still there as a great day. As significant as they are. They don't come anywhere close, do they? Even the most cynical agnostic would, would acknowledge that. Easter Day is the, great, is the great continental divide, you know, in America, that place where a drop of rain falls, and depending on where it falls, it, it flows either down into the Pacific or it flows down into the Atlantic. Easter Day is the great continental divide of all history, and every person finds themselves, places themselves on one side of the story or the other. Let's just read a few of the verses then from John's version of the events that first Easter morning and remind ourselves. And we're going to ask three questions. I find this helpful. Some of you know this whenever we read our Bible. Here's a real simple framework for those who may be unfamiliar with your Bibles. To ask these three questions. What? So what? Now what? What? What does it say? So what? What does, what does that mean? Now what? What do I do with that? What do I do with this greatest day? What are we doing with this greatest day? That greatest day 20 centuries ago. Somebody as we were praying earlier just said, I have this strong sense that God just wants to ask everybody in the room this morning, what are you doing with the greatest day? What's God saying to you? So here's a few verses from John chapter 20. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. She found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. 
And she ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Don't you love how John describes that? The one whom Jesus loved. I'm his favourite. She said, they've, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter because, hey, he's a quicker runner as well, <laughs> and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and he did go in. He went inside. And then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood from the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Don't know if you saw it, but The Guardian ran a piece this week examining the evidence for whether Jesus actually existed, whether he was a real man who lived and died in first century Palestine. And of course, nobody really seriously disputes the evidence for that. It was a rather feeble article, I concluded. And the article confirmed, of course, he lived and died. The world-transforming truth, though, the world-transforming claim, the claim and the truth that genuinely change everything and transform everything, celebrated today from east to west, from north to south, is not that Jesus lived and died. It's that he died and lives. So I were here. I'm not a great fan of um, liturgical responses. It won't surprise you to know, and we aren't very good at them in this church. But I've, I've always loved that Easter one that Gareth started this, us with this morning. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. It's the crux of everything. It is the very reason that anybody is in this building today. If he hadn't risen, if, we, if there weren't a bunch of people who believed that he's risen, we would not be here. We'd be shopping or eating chocolate. People haven't gathered for the past 2,000 years to shout together, the stock market has risen. It has risen indeed. The GCSE pass rate has risen again. <laughs> Unemployment or employment has risen or human goodness has risen or whatever else has risen. No, hallelujah, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Indeed. The reason I like it is because of that word. In fact, in reality, in historical truth, some might say Elvis lives. Or the, <laughs> I hear a come on from over here. <laughs> of course he does. Or the spirit of Winston Churchill lives. Or some other uh, historical figure who leaves a legacy, who's marked uh, influentially with their life, something that, that outlasts their death. But the witness of John in the passage and the witness ever since is this, that Jesus is alive, that he's risen in bodily form, never to die again. And his followers, you know, they weren't gullible, they weren't pretending, they weren't lying, they weren't hallucinating, they weren't being inspired by some ongoing, kind of fuzzy feeling kind of an influence. It wasn't a spiritual metaphor, it was an empty tomb that the most brilliant and cynical lawyers for 20 centuries have still not quite explained away. It was a whole series of appearances by Jesus, wasn't it, to a whole load of people. It says, Paul, most of whom are still alive. In other words, go and ask them if you doubt this. Go and hear some eyewitness accounts. And then perhaps most compellingly of all, it's this little group of Jesus' friends and followers who leave him earlier in the week, who flee, who run away, who on the Friday are disheartened and they're discouraged, they're disappointed, they're disillusioned, they're diseverything, and then suddenly they're not. 
Suddenly, they go around telling everybody that this Jesus is very much alive, that he is saviour, that he is redeemer, that he is Lord, that he is son of God, that he is to be believed and followed and adored and worshipped. And they want to share that news so badly that they stop at very little to make sure that people know it. They give up land and property and they give up possessions and reputation and careers and homes. Challenging, isn't it, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus? And ultimately, many of them give up their lives. Nobody gives up a life, uh, their life for something they know to be untrue. And they start the world's first community that includes Jews and Greeks and slaves and free and male and female and rich and poor and Welsh people. Community that shatters every ethnic, cultural, social, economic boundary. A community then that explodes in power. It's an extraordinary story, isn't it? It's the world's best story. Community that begins in the name of their Lord to turn the world upside down or perhaps the right way up, actually. God's power raises Jesus from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's the what. That's the what. What does John say? What does the Bible say? What's the record? What's the witness that Jesus lives? So what? What does it mean? Well, it changes everything. Literally, it changes everything. And it means that there are some things that are now unshakable, in which we can have unshakable confidence and unshakable hope. We live in a world where there is so much pain. You don't need me to tell you that. There's pain in your life. There's pain all around the place. David was praying about some of it just now. There's tragedy. There's difficulty. There's brokenness. There's needs. There's heartache. There's deep uncertainty. We're very aware of it. There always has been. We're perhaps even more aware of it because we're more aware of everything because of the news media, whether it's in Korea or Russia or Syria, whether it's closer to home in Europe or in the UK, whether it's closer to home in your street, whether it's closer to home in your family, whether it's closer to home in your life and your heart. There's need. There's uncertainty. There's shakiness. Unknowns. But Jesus... Rising from death means some unshakable things, some unshakable confidence and hope. Here are four of them, just four quite briefly. Unshakable confidence in who Jesus actually is. That's what it means. It means that, doesn't it? 1815, Wellington beats Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo. The signal ships, signaling by, by virtue of using flags, they bear this news, but they come into the English Channel and the Channel begins to get foggy. Some of you know this story. It's a true story. And all the, the, the lookouts on the shore, all that they could see before the, the mist rolls in is the message from these signal ships, Wellington defeated. And there's general gloom as this bad news spread around the place. But then a bit later, the fog lifted and the lookouts could see the completion of the message. What the ships were actually signaling was Wellington defeated the French. Three. <laughs> Again. On... Friday, the message was clear enough. The news was pretty bad for the band of supporters. Jesus defeated. Heaven was just counting to three, somebody said. And the victory of the Friday cross is seen in all its glory on the Sunday morning. Is seen today, isn't it? Jesus defeated the grave. So that means, doesn't it, that Jesus is who he is says he is. It means he is who he claimed to be. It means he's done what he claimed to do because he claimed he would. He is God made flesh. He is the saviour, the rescuer of the world. He is what he said. I am the way 
and the truth and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the prince of peace. I'm the one who brings you hope and forgiveness and freedom. I'm the bread of life. I'm the Lord. Paul in Romans says this, he was declared with power to be the son of God who he claimed to be by his resurrection from the dead. So resurrection means unshakable confidence, surely, in who Jesus is. It means unshakable confidence in who we are, in our identity, in our value. These are big things, aren't they? If I were to ask you, where do you get your sense of who you are from? Where do you get your sense of what makes you you? Where do you get your value from, your identity, your security, your significance? Where do you, what makes you you? Where do you get that from? Who says? I was reading the uh, Times Rich List quite recently, just checking to see if I was in it. And always interesting to see who's down, who's up, plenty of movement. I'm basically trying to spot who's going to own Arsenal Football Club next and can buy us a decent centre-back. But occasionally you hear people say, not people like me or you, but people say, oh, um, uh, I'm only worth um, 80% of what I was a year ago or something like that. No, no, you're not. My net worth has dropped so badly. No, it hasn't. Nobody's worth has dropped Maybe on a different level, as you consider your worth, your value, your identity, maybe you're somebody who identifies with getting angry or getting disappointed even with your, yourself or you've made so many duff decisions or you, you messed up a bit or you don't feel like you're a great parent or a great husband or a great wife. You don't even feel like you're a great Christian if you call yourself one. Struggle is how, how, with how you handle yourself and some of your close relationships and you might deduce, well, I'm not sure what my value is. Perhaps I don't have very much value. Wrong, says the greatest day. Don't believe that lie of the devil. 2,000 Easter's ago, you were worth the life of the Son of God. Think about that. You are worth, you are worth the life of the Son of God himself. That's your worth. That's our identity right there. And it'll be the same worth and the same value that you have tomorrow and forever because your Father God loves you. And me. Jesus is risen indeed. That means that your, your salary, your bank account, that doesn't get to define your identity. That doesn't say how much you're worth. Nor does your job title, nor does your respectability, nor does your accent, nor does your influence, nor how clean your kitchen is, how clever your children are, how many A grades you've got to your name, how good you are at stuff, who follows you on Twitter, how broad your smile is, how narrow your waistline is. Yet so many of us live as if those were the things that do define us and make up our value, our worth, who we think ourselves to be. And then we wonder why we feel so precarious and so insecure and life feels so uncertain. Peter writes, for you now know what was paid to set you free. And it wasn't silver and it wasn't gold and it wasn't anything else that goes up and down. To the God who created everything, you're worth more than every pound ever printed. You're worth the lifeblood of his son, Jesus. Unshakable confidence in who we are. Unshakable confidence in our future. It's a place in Spain, I'll probably pronounce it wrong, Valladolid, something like that. Christopher Columbus died in uh, 1506 there. And there's a monument that commemorates um, that great explorer in that city in the, in the southern tip of Spain. And on that monument, there's a lion destroying one of the three words in Latin which is on the monument. 
Because before Columbus made his voyage, the Spanish believed that they had reached the outer limits of what could be known by, uh, human, by hu human people, by uh, explorers and so on. They had a motto which read this, ne plus ultra in Latin, no more beyond. There's no more beyond this. We've discovered all there is to discover. Well, the word that the, the, the lion is eating on the monument, I've not been there, but I've seen the picture, is that first word, the ne, the not, crossing it out. Because what Columbus, of course, had shown was that there was indeed more beyond. The world would never be the same way again. The empty tomb, Easter, proves that there is more beyond. We can have an unshakable confidence about the future. Death didn't have the final word. Death is defeated. Jesus tells his followers this, John 14. It's often read at funerals. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There are many rooms in my father's house and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. After I've done it, I'll return and then I'll take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. A place then for those who know Jesus, a place for those who trust Jesus, where the Bible says there'll be no more tears, no more fears, no more pain, no more difficulties, no more insecurities, no more uncertainties, no more of those painful challenges, no more of the heartache that is our common experience. The best is yet to come for people who have humbly put their hand in the hand of God. C.S. Lewis puts it like this in The Last Battle. He speaks of future destiny of heaven like this. For them, it was the beginning of the real story. All of their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has yet read, which goes on forever and in which every chapter is better than the one before. I mean, talk about greatest day. This is mind-blowing stuff, isn't it? Resurrection hope, resurrection confidence, unshakable confidence. There's something because of the greatest day that we can be sure of who Jesus is, who we are, loved by him. Our future, and finally, in God's grace, we can be, have an unshakable confidence in God's amazing grace. There's an engineer, lived about 100 years ago, I think his name was called Charles Steinmetz, worked for the General Electric Company. He was a genius. He knew every detail of every machine that General Electric had on the, the factory floor, largely because he had designed and built most of them. And one day after he retired, there was a malfunction in the factory, so the story goes, that nobody could fix. So they call up Charlie uh, Steinmetz in to help, and he comes in and he looks at the machine for about a minute. He takes out a piece of chalk, and he carefully marks an X on the defective part that needs replacing, and then he goes home. And he sends in the bill, his bill to General Electric Company, for $10,000 for 30 seconds' work. And they're a bit shocked at the bill, and... Um, they asked him to just give them a little bit of a breakdown of uh, the bill, how it worked out to be $10,000, 30 seconds work. And he wrote back, he said, yeah, making a chalk mark, $1. Knowing where to put it, $9,999. See, they knew, and he knew, that he was the only person who could do anything to fix their problem. There's only one person who can do anything, really, to fix the problem of humanity, our problem, our fundamental system malfunction, if you like, of human beings where we just go wrong. And yes, there's wrong out there, but it starts with wrong in here, doesn't it? With self-absorption and all that self-stuff, self-centeredness, pride and so on. What the Bible calls sin, ugly word, it's got ugly consequences in us, in the world. And it needs fixing and it needs forgiving and we need 
freeing up from its power. Praise God. In Jesus at Easter, he's done it and he's not made us pay $10,000 or anything at all, let alone our own blood, because he's paid it in his blood. He's taken the bill on himself. Romans 5, 6, when we were powerless, feel powerless ever, helpless to really make a difference in our lives and in this world, when we were powerless, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his love for us in this while we're still sinners. Christ died for us. That's why we call it such a good, good Friday. Nothing in your past, nothing that you've ever done, nothing that you've ever thought, nothing that you've ever said, nothing that's ever escaped your lips, nothing in your present, your shame, your anger, your lack of self-control or mine, my anxiety, my critical nature, the way that I say things I don't mean, the way that I hurt people, the way I don't want to, nothing, nothing is beyond God's ability to cleanse and forgive and reach out in grace and fresh hope. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross and three days later was raised to new life. What? Jesus lives. So what? Changes everything. Unshakable confidence can be ours in him, who he is, in us, who we are, our value, in our future, in God's grace. Last final question, now what? Now what? So I'm guessing that in the room there's a whole bunch of us who can know all of that, all of that stuff. Tim, you're not really telling me anything I didn't know before. I'm not really seen anything this morning or been reminded of something I don't really know before. I, 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 think, I think I know all of that stuff uh, in here. I've, I've heard that theory before. Those events of 2,000 years ago, I know about that one day. I know something about that one hope that it points to. I know something of the one plan that God has, that grace plan for every man and woman and child. But you see, there's still and always one step to take, isn't there? One response. That's what John had to do in the reading. It's the question that faced John. Now what? Now what? Now what for you today? What for us? Verse 8, I read it earlier, John 20. His, this was his now what? He saw and believed. Such a tricky word, isn't it? Believed. Need to get the full measure of it. Not I believe as in, um, I, I believe in UFOs. I believe they exist. Not that. Not I believe in saunas as in, I think they're really good for you. But I believe as in, I trust. I put my full weight on. I lean on this. I give myself to this. I commit myself, all of myself, heart, mind, body, soul, spirit to this. I am convinced. I'm drawn by this reality, this truth, this love of this risen God, man, Jesus. So much I'm going to trust him. I may not have all the answers. In fact, I have very few, but I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust. I'm going to surrender that stubborn, self-absorbed heart of mine to his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and all that he holds out because of what he did 2,000 years ago. And I'm going to say with Thomas a little bit later in the same passage, not just Jesus is the, is the Lord, I'm going to fall on my knees and declare Jesus is my Lord, my God, my saviour, my redeemer, my rescuer, my life, my hope. And so begin an experience that John the witness of these things, describes by one word. By doing that, he says, you discover life. And that's the message to the readers down the ages, isn't it? At the end of the chapter, chapter 20, he ends his gospel like this. I love it. Jesus, before many other signs, 
They're not recorded in this book, haven't got room. But these ones are written so that you, reader, 20 Easter's, 20 centuries later, Trinity Cheltenham, 2017, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, life in his name. So now what? By believing, have life. Life before death, life now, life knowing his love, knowing his peace, knowing a sense of purpose and direction that can't be found elsewhere, knowing profoundly what your life is about and what it means, knowing hope, knowing something of the power of God's Holy Spirit to equip us, help us in the business of life in a tough world, and then one day going through the door of death into life beyond in the very presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I guess some people might say that the most important date in the Christian calendar is Christmas. It's Easter every time. It's Easter every time, the day death died, the greatest day. The day the world changed forever, the day that means our life, your life, our future, your future can be changed forever too because Jesus not just lived and died, but he died and now lives. Amen. Let's stand. If you're a parent of uh, little ones who are over in the building over there and you're not sure about our time, is we're good for time, they're not um, yet expecting to be collected, the, the kids team will hold on to them for another quarter of an hour or so. So we have a little moment in here and, um, and there's a now what, isn't there? There's a bit of a now what for all of us to engage in, wherever you're at on this journey. So let's just be quiet for a little moment. You don't need me to tell you what to do. I might have one or two things to, to suggest. But before God, I'm wondering if you dare to ask him that question for yourself. Now what, God? Wherever your starting point is for that, now what? What are you saying to me today? And what do I do with what you're saying? And what do I do with this greatest day? This could be the greatest day of our lives. What am I doing with that? And I'm thinking that for many, probably the majority in here, one of the things that we're doing is thanking him. One of the do things that we're doing is just, whether we're going to our knees or putting our hands in the air, we're thanking him. But this is a reality that we know. This is a truth that we have come to experience, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. Because we would say that we know Jesus. So let this continue to be a place of celebration. And if that's you, you celebrate. I'm going to ask the band to play another song. We're going to sing again. And it might be that for you, you just want to come and acknowledge that again in whatever way is meaningful for you. We always create a space at the front here, this space, and sometimes it's good just to take a step, just to acknowledge, 
to move forward just to say, yeah, that's me. And I'm just dedicating my life again to this story, this story that is real to me. You might want to take this moment to do that. Even as we're singing, just make your way, just come. You might want to take this moment just to acknowledge, surrender again, the giving of heart again. You've been holding back and you know it. Maybe there's been the odd idol. David was praying about that. The, other, the odd God, that is false God that has cropped up in here that we've put on the throne. Maybe it's ourself. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's future or whatever. And we're just aware of that and we want to go, no, God, you're on the throne. And you want to acknowledge that and thank him that he is. Why don't you come? Others will be in a different place. We'll pick that up in a moment. But let's sing together.